Welcome to Espresso Prime, a podcast all about primes, short enough to listen to while you enjoy your cup of coffee. Hello, hello. Welcome to a new episode of Espresso Crime. Today's states for crimes by state for our Sunday scaries are Oregon and Pennsylvania. I cannot believe it is already episode 90. 10 more and we are at 100. I know you guys can do basic math, but 100 is just such a milestone and I'm so excited. Um, if you've noticed, I am, I am recovering from a cold. My voice is not quite 100 yet, but I had to get this episode going, get it out there. Um, so it is, it just, it is what it is. We're almost there. Uh, let's just get things started with Oregon. So compared to other states, Oregon does have a relatively low rate of violent crime per capita, but not so quick because stats show that serial killings happen more frequently per capita than almost anywhere else in the U.S. Let's get into it. Starting the list off with a major throwback crime is the Hell's Canyon Massacre, also known as the Stake River Massacre. So this is where 34 Chinese gold miners were ambushed and murdered in May of 1887. In 2005, the area was renamed Chinese Massacre Cove and a memorial was placed there in 2012. Second on the list, Edmund Crayfield. So he was a German-American religious leader who founded a movement in Corvallis, Oregon. This became known locally as the Holy Rollers. So the movement was mainly popular among women and it was widely regarded as a cult. So Crefeld, who believed himself the second coming of Jesus, had a number of run-ins with authorities over the next several years. Police and cults just, they just can't vibe together. Anyways, in 1906, Crefeld was murdered by George Mitchell. This um, man was a sister of one of Crefeld's followers. So after being acquitted of wrongdoing in the killing, Mitchell was himself murdered by his sister in revenge. Another follower also died by suicide. So just terrible all around number three on the list oak grove jane doe so this is an unidentified murder victim found dismembered in a river south of portland oregon over several months in 1946 the first discovery consisted of a woman's torso which was found wrapped in burlap floating on april 12 1946 the arms and one thigh of the victim were then discovered the following day floating in similar burlap packaging both the hands and foot had been severed from the limbs and were missing though In July 1946, the second thigh was found and an additional woman's clothing believed to be that of the victims was recovered from another river around the same time. Fast forward to the fall of 1946, the victim's severed head was found in the river. Her hands and feet were never recovered. Though initially reported to have been a female in her late teens or 20s, A pathologist from the University of Oregon's medical school confirmed the victim was a middle-aged Caucasian woman between 40 and 50 years old. The case received national media attention, appearing on the front page of numerous news outlets, but her identity and the killer remain unknown. In 2004, her murder case was formally reopened, but remains a cold case. The evidence, as well as the women's remains, were lost by law enforcement sometime in the 1950s, making advanced DNA testing now impossible. I just want to note, next time I lose my keys, can we just remember this moment, please? Like, we literally have lost all of the evidence and remains. Nothing can now be done. That is really sad. Fourth on the list, 48-year-old Frank Oliver Payne killed Hercules Butler, a Portland grocer, during a robbery on January 9, 1951. Later that same day, he robbed a gas station. Payne's police record, though, goes back to 1920 when he was arrested for robbery and assault in Portland. 
He escaped from the Oregon St. Penn in 1921 and was free for more than a year before being apprehended. He was not on our prison escapes list, but if you didn't listen to that, you definitely should. Episode 88, just a couple back. So after being released from the Oregon State Pen in 1923, Payne began a forger in California and landed himself in San Quentin State Prison. In the 1930s and early 40s, he was convicted of robbery and assault in Wyoming, Nevada, and Washington State. Payne did claim temporary insanity, which caused him to kill Butler. He said, I have no more actual knowledge of the death of Mr. Butler than you, he told a reporter. The jury didn't buy it, though, and he was quickly convicted. Two years later, Payne spoke to a reporter a week before he was scheduled to die in Oregon's gas chamber. He says, I'll be dead next Friday and I'll be glad of it. I hope the people of Oregon appreciate it. He was put to death by the state in January of 1953. Fifth on the list is Richard Lawrence Marquette. He was born December 12, 1934 and is an American serial killer who killed three women, drained their blood, mutilated and discovered their bodies and scattered their remains between 1961 and 1975. He was the first person to have ever be added on as an 11th name to the FBI's 10 most wanted list in connection with the 1961 murder of Joan Codd in Portland, Oregon. He has been incarcerated at the Oregon State Pen since June 1975. Six on the list, Jerome Henry Brudos. He was born January 31st, 1931 and is an American serial killer and necrophile who murdered at least four women in Oregon between 1968 and 1969. Number seven on the list, John Charles Balsinger. He was born September 17, 1957. He was released from prison, and that was because of a murder he committed in Utah. Following that release, though, what does he do? He kills three women between 1986 to 1988. After the last murder takes place, he commits suicide on March 23, 1988. It's not until this year, though, that the Oregon State Police, using DNA analysts, links him to the murders of the three women. Number eight on the list, Randall Woodfield. He was born September 26, 1950. He's an American serial killer, rapist, kidnapper, and robber. He's also known as the I-5 killer or the I-5 bandit by the media due to the crimes he committed being along the Interstate 5 corridor that runs through Washington, Oregon, and California. Before his capture, the I-5 killer was suspected of multiple sexual assaults and murders. Though convicted in only one murder, he has been linked to a total of 18 and is suspected of having killed up to 44 people. His span of crimes was from October 1980 to February 1981. We did a full episode on highway killers, episode 50, and I'll put that in the caption as well. Number nine on the list, Alvin Brown. So Southwest Portland local Alvin Brown killed three women and attempted to murder one more in the 1980s. He evaded local police for 10 years until forensics linked him to a woman he tried to dump off an Interstate 5 overpass. In 1981, Brown raped and strangled a 17-year-old while she was walking just a mile to her friend's house. Her body was left by a church and discovered on Mother's Day. Near the same time, Brown raped and strangled a 17-year-old after she disappeared from campus. He was never convicted of his crimes and died behind bars in 2002. Number 10 on the list, Bobby Jack Fowler. He was born June 12, 1939 and was an American rapist and suspected serial killer active in the U.S. and Canada. He died in prison of lung cancer during a 16-year sentence following a conviction of rape, kidnapping, and attempted rape in Oregon 
1996, and that was for an attack that took place the year before in 1995. 11th on the list, Dayton Rogers, born September 30th, 1953. He's a serial killer currently on Oregon's death row at the Oregon State Pen for six murders. He has been tied to the murders of seven women. The span of crimes is from 1983 to 1987, with the bodies of six of the women being found at a dump site located on privately owned forest lands. 12th on the list, we have actually talked about this one before in one of the first episodes. Keith Hunter Jepserson, born April 6, 1955, is a Canadian-American serial killer who murdered at least eight women in the U.S. during the early 1990s and is also known as the Happy Face Killer because he drew smiley faces on many of the letters to the media and authorities. Many of his victims were sex workers and transients who had no connection to him. Strangulation was his preferred method of murdering, and that was the same method he used to kill animals as a child. After the body of his first victim was found, media attention surrounded Laverne Pavlik. She was a woman who was falsely confessing to having killed the victim with the help of her abusive boyfriend. This made the happy face killer upset, and that was because he wasn't getting any of the media attention. Most killers don't want to be caught, but that was making him upset. Very strange. Anyways, this caused him to draw a smiley face on a bathroom wall hundreds of miles from the crime scene and write anonymous letters confessing to the murder and providing proof. When that didn't give him a response, he began writing letters to the media and police. His last victim was the crime that ultimately led to his capture. While he has claimed to have killed as many as 185 people, only eight murders have been confirmed. He is currently serving a life sentence without parole at the Oregon State Pen. And now on to crimes in Pennsylvania. We're going to start the list off with a throwback crime, taking things back to 1906 when Lillian Thorman, who was a 13-year-old servant, fatally burned a toddler on the stove. When she was caught by the infant's aunt, she confessed to killing three other children in the same manner, claiming that I did it because I have the devil in me. We are just starting off. We are picking a level and we are sticking to it. Second on the list, in 1934, Elmo Noakes was close to running out of money. This caused him to smother his three children and bury them in a shallow grave. After the children's bodies were discovered, Elmo and his niece, who was also his partner, used the last of their money to purchase a handgun, which they ultimately turned on themselves. This is just, sometimes we really just pick a list and this is just tragic and weird and just all of the things. Third on the list, Grady Stiles. He was born with a genetic deformity, and as a seven-year-old, he joined his father and performed under the name of Lobster Boy. That was his stage name. Fast forward to his adult years, he was married twice and had four children. Two of the children did have the same deformity and performed in the carnival. Together, they were performing under the stage name, The Lobster Family. When not traveling the carnival, they lived in Florida during the winter season, and then we will get into more of why they're actually on this list. So Styles was an alcoholic and he was very abusive to his family. This really escalated in 1978 in Pittsburgh when he shot and killed his oldest daughter's fiance on the eve of their wedding. He was brought to trial. He confessed to killing him and he was convicted of third degree murder. He was not sent to prison though as no state prison was a kip to care for an inmate with the deformity that he had. So instead, he was sentenced to house arrest and 15 years probation. After the sentencing, he stopped drinking and remarried his first wife. However, he started to drink again and his family stated that he became even more aggressive. 
1992, the wife married Teresa and her son from a previous marriage by the name of Harry Newman Jr. hired a 17-year-old carnival performer to kill Stiles for $1,500. The 17-year-old was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 27 years in prison. The son, Harry Newman Jr., was uh, given life in prison for his role as the mastermind, and Mary Teresa was given 43 years in prison for conspiracy to commit murder. I feel like this list is already crazy, and we're just getting into it. Number fourth on the list is Harrison Frank Marty Graham. He was born September 9th, 1959. He's an American serial killer, and he murdered seven women in Philadelphia between mid-1986 and mid-1987, and he kept their remains in his apartment. In 1988, he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to death, but his sentences were later reduced to life in prison. He lived less than a mile and a half away from the home of another murderer by the name of Gary Hindick. He was also arrested during the same time period for similar crimes. Creepy, creepy, horrible all the way around. Getting right in to number five, Gary Heideck, we just mentioned. So he murdered two women in his home and held six victims in chains. He raped them and used electrical shocks on them during 1986 and 1987. He was arrested after one of the captives escaped and alerted the police. That is amazing. Those who survived said he kept them half naked in his basement. He fed them dog food and the dog food was laced with human remains. This is just absolutely vile. In 1999, he became the last person to be executed in Pennsylvania. Six on the list, Harvey Miguel Robinson, born December 6, 1974, is an American serial killer currently in prison on death row in Pennsylvania. He was 18 when he committed his violent crime spree, and that was killing three and injuring two from 1992 to 1993. Seventh on the list, Miranda Barbar. So she was a 19-year-old newlywed when she confessed to killing over 20 victims. The confession came after she and her husband, Elliot Barbar, were arrested for the murder of a man that Miranda lured on Craigslist. Miranda claimed that she started murdering people across the country as part of a cult that she had joined back in Alaska. Those cults, I tell ya. Eighth on the list, Mark Sparks. He's a convicted murderer. He killed four people in four days that began because of an argument with his brother and the argument was over a gerbil of all things. He killed his brother Dustin on January 31st, 1995. Accompanied by a 17-year-old girlfriend, he then killed a 52-year-old woman and stole her car. He and his girlfriend then went on to carjack another woman at gunpoint, stealing her cash, credit card, and jewelry. Police later found the woman's body under her car. The girlfriend surrendered to police and Spots went on to abduct his final victim, a 70-year-old retired Lutheran deaconess. She was shot nine times and he killed her before surrendering to police. Mark Spots is on death row today. Ninth on the list is Charles Roberts IV. He was a 32-year-old milk truck driver and drove a mile from his home to a one-room Amish schoolhouse. There, he ordered the boys from the school then barricaded himself inside with 10 girls ranging in age from 6 to 13. He then tied them up, opened fire, and killed five girls, injuring five others, and then committed suicide. Tenth on the list is Adam Leroy Lane. He was born August 6, 1964, and is a convicted murderer who was also called the Highway Killer because his crimes took place near the highway which he was traveling, of course due to his job as a truck driver. 
His ban of crimes was from July 13th to July 30th, 2007. In just those 17 days, he killed twice and attempted three murders. 11th on the list is in 2009. At just 11 years old, Jordan Brown was arrested for the murder of his father's fiance and her unborn child. Allegedly, he shot the woman before leaving for the school bus. He was tried as an adult and convicted of murder. However, after almost a decade behind bars, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned his conviction. And to last on the list is a little longer, but pretty interesting when it comes to the online dating and crime connection. So a 53-year-old woman started an online dating account and received a message from Anthony Eugene Robinson. In his mid-30s, he says he was looking for something serious and preferred the maturity of older women. He confided in her that he was never married, he had a daughter and a son, but the son did die as a young child. Their relationship started with text, video chats, and his first visit to Pennsylvania in late 2020. Fast forward a few months, the mid-30-year-old is now wanting to move with his daughter to Pennsylvania. Next, he would visit the 53-year-old woman for her birthday. At the birthday party, things took a turn, and this is when Robinson got drunk and made sexually suggestive comments toward the woman's son and the teenage son of a friend. So the next morning, a conf confrontation did take place, and that escalated to a fight. The police were called, and Robinson finally left. After the fight, Robinson did want to see her again, but she declined. She did see him once more, and that was when she was driving, and she was absolutely shocked to see him on the street looking very different than his usual appearance. Months later, in December 2021, the 53-year-old was forwarded a news article. Anthony Robinson is an alleged serial killer, police say. He's been publicly linked to the deaths of six women, two of which he has been charged with killing, they are a 54-year-old and a 39-year-old, both from Virginia. Police believe that the women were killed in 2021, sometime between October 24th and November 14th. Their bodies were discovered together on November 23rd, 2021 in a vacant lot next to a shopping cart. Investigators say that Robinson met both women on dating sites and allegedly lured them to hotels where he killed them and dumped their bodies in a vacant lot. He allegedly used a shopping cart to transport the remains, police say. 13th, last on the list and most recently, Derek Jones, who's 21, was taken into custody at his home and charged with three counts of murder. On June 28th, a 20-year-old was shot multiple times just after getting off of a septa bus. Then on July 7th, a 21 and 20-year-old were shot just after getting off of a septa bus as well. Police have not been able to establish any connection between Derek Jones and the victims. That wraps up today's episode for our Sunday Scaries for Espresso Crime with Oregon and Pennsylvania. Thank you for sticking this one out with my terrible voice. It honestly wasn't that bad until I started talking and it just got progressively worse. Really hoping this is like going to wrap up soon and I'll be back to a normal voice Sometimes I definitely struggle. I feel like I have marbles in my mouth. And when I do record, sometimes I do get a bit of a, like, really losing my voice. But nothing this bad. So I hope this is a temporary thing. Anyways, thank you for listening. And I will see you next Sunday for more Sunday Scaries by Expresso Crime. Bye for now.